episode 14 and this week's double feature we've got a fun one we're going to be covering drag me to hell and ginger snaps uh the theme was going to be uh 2000s feminist horror and uh one of these films is definitely (laughs) feminist we'll we'll see if an argument can be made for the other but we'll, we'll get into that momentarily um first things first let me introduce my guest travis Welcome back to the Digest. What's up, bub? Yo, yo, yo. And Paris. Hello. Hello. So uh, before we dive into the first movie in our double feature, um, Paris uh, is uh, is hobbled. She is uh, injured. She is handicapped. Um so we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, she's, uh, you know, she's going to be doing her best. So far, the vibes are good. But uh, the vibes Paris, are great. It's not fact. a story you have to tell. Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. But uh, is this no, something you want the listeners to know about? Or what's going on? Sure. I mean, I don't think it'll in any way impede my recording ability, except <laughs> that it took me 100 years to get settled where where I'm sitting right now. Um, I broke my ankle uh, hiking in Joshua Tree. And um, as I just, I just shared with you and Travis, Matt, um, I hiked two thirds of the way in the hike and I was out in the desert and then uh, I slipped and I fell and I thought I was gonna have to get hella vacked out. <laughs> Instead, oh I had to hike out the rest of the way. Um, obviously, I didn't realize my ankle was broken and then kept walking on it for a week and then found out it was broken. <laughs> so can you um, set the stage a little more? Like, were you walking uphill, downhill? Did you oh, no, this something? was very, Lose very flat. In? So here's the here's the stupid thing about all of this. So at the beginning of the trail, there was tons of like places where you could like go off the trip because it was a pretty like straightforward trail so it was like you could go off the trail and like I was like kept like being like let's go off trail and go over here and go bouldering and find these little shady spots and caves and it was really fun and like that should have been the part where I got hurt that's the part where I was definitely like being more adventurous and you know really up in that adrenaline and stuff and then um we got about maybe halfway through and we realized it was taking us a really long time and it's really, really hot out there. And, you know, you only have a limited amount of water and you're in the middle of a desert. So it was like, Ooh, like we should pick up the pace a little oh, bit. Man. Amateurs. <laughs> Not I brought enough water. <laughs> I brought plenty of water for, for reference. I brought okay. a camelback and a water bottle because I knew that we'd be hiking in the desert, but just in general, we did not have enough water. I think, we were just, it wasn't that we didn't have enough. It was that we were like, mm, it, let's, we probably should speed it up a bit. We've been out here for a long time. It's not good to spend this much time, right. you know, hiking out in the sun. So anyway, so we get about halfway 
through we're and then we're like in the valley we're in the bowl it's hot there's no shady areas so we're just kind of powering through how hot give us a a temp mm, i think it was close to a hundred Oh, man. It might have been in the high. It's a dry heat. It might only have been in the high 80s, but it felt like it wasn't too, too bad. I was wearing like a tank top and shorts, so it wasn't terrible bad. And there's no humidity, but it's just being out in the direct sun for that long is just like not good. Right? Yeah, well, for yeah. sure. Um, and then, yeah, and then we were just walking along totally flat area. And then I slipped and fell forward and like heard... What I thought was a pop, and now I'm realizing was a crack of bone. Um, mm. And yeah, and then I was like screaming, and you know, a whole whole nine. And I mm-hmm. thought I was gonna die, and I didn't die. I um, through the help of my two wonderful uh, friends that were there with me, friends of the show, Helen and Jess, um, I was able to hike the rest of the way out. And yeah, that's the whole story. So you slipped on like loose gravel or you yeah, really so want to know like... how she felt. Travis. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Travis, if you want, I can send you some pictures later of like my swollen foot and stuff. If you're like really that interested in all of this. No, I just want to yeah, know how I mean, you it was slipped. Like... So it was like, it wasn't like gravelly cause it's out in the desert. So it was like, like loose sandy dirt. Mm. That'll you know? get but you. Literally like, I am very clumsy. I fall down all the time. This is not the first time I've fallen down and like, you know, pretty severely injured myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I I just felt dumb because it it wasn't when I was doing like the crazy stuff and like bouldering and stuff. It was literally like we were just walking on flat ground and I just slipped and fell. That when happens. You least expect it. Yeah. No, exactly. I feel you. I uh, I struggle um, walking downhill sometimes and hiking so i was wondering if that's what did it for you i mean i wish walking I could downhill say it was like... it's just not ideal for me i'd rather walk uphill even though it's harder the older the older i get uh the more likely i feel like i'm gonna die just going about my day you know what i mean like walking on flat land all it takes is stepping on like a pebble at the wrong angle to like roll your ankle and that sprain turns into Literally. a break and it's you know doesn't take much these days i mean i broke my other ankle when i was playing soccer when i was 13 but that was like i was, was like a pliable you know it was like sporty little 13 year old doing all this now I, i'm like old and my bones are brittle and like <laughs> i just wasn't even really doing anything <laughs> right <laughs> uh cool well I'm, I'm glad you're doing okay now um Let's uh, let's get into this review here. How about how's that sound? How about that? Let's do it. Sounds good to me. We are going to start with "Drag Me to Hell." This is the 2009 Sam Raimi flick. Plot synopsis is a lone officer who evicts an old woman from her home finds herself the recipient of a supernatural curse. Desperate, she turns to a seer to try and save her soul while evil forces push her or evil forces work to push her to a breaking point. Film stars Allison Lohman and Justin Long. Uh, let's set the stage a little bit here. Uh, so I saw this movie for the first time in 2010, 2011. So shortly after it came out. 
And uh, fun story behind the first time I saw this film, there was a girl in college that I had a huge crush on. She was like into punk and she was like covering tattoos. And she uh, agreed to like go on a date with me. So she was like going to come over to my house and I was going to make dinner and shit. Anyway, I'm making dinner. She's supposed to be at my house at seven o'clock. We were going to make dinner and then watch Drag Me to Hell, right? So we're making dinner or I'm making dinner. Excuse me. I'm making dinner. 10 minutes go by. She's not there. 20 minutes go by. She's not there. 45 minutes go by. She's not there. So I text her. I'm like, hey, are you running late? And I, she's like, uh, I'm waiting for you to pick me up. She was waiting for me to come get her from her dorm and bring her to my house when I didn't have a car and she knew that. So then the date got canceled oh my God. and I ate pasta by myself and watched <laughs> Drag Me to Hell by myself. Oh, <laughs> no. Man, that is, thought- that is the... That is the saddest story in the world. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell us uh, about the night you lost your virginity. No. Yeah, I thought you were going to be like, there was a super hot punk chick and she was into this movie and they, we like made out through it we so I don't remember it or the movie something. No. Fucked. No. <laughs> yeah, a little Netflix and chill, baby. No. Yeah. For, uh, Except the cool. opposite of that, Netflix <laughs> in your own hand. This is uh, getting a little personal on the show, uh, but I, wa- I was in fact at that time a virgin. Had not yet, oh, uh, no. <laughs> had not yet uh, done the deed. <laughs> oh, sweet little baby bat. Yeah. So oh, that, that was my f- even sadder. So, <laughs> was there any conversation about you picking her up, or was it just assumed? I guess assumptions were made. She lived on campus. She was a freshman. I was a sophomore. I gave her my address. I told her I was right off the bus line. I just fuck. I just fucking assumed that she was just going to take the bus to me and. I don't know. Like, she, my out. favorite part about the story is that you waited forty-five minutes to be like, "Hey, are you are you late?" Well, I don't want to be pushy, you know. <laughs> like I was now, like, if if someone was like ten or fifteen minutes late, I'd be like, "Hey, are you fucking coming? What the fuck?" Oh, you know, I was like, I, maybe she's trying to be fashionably late, fashionably late. Maybe she's trying to play a little hard to get. Like I'm gonna show yeah, up late at this guy's house, fair. you know. So 45 minutes, I was like, okay, the food's, <laughs> I've had the, f- the food has been sitting I fully cooked. I can't, that's so, that so, is a sad story, man. That's my uh, super villain origin story. Um, <laughs> but I watched the film by myself and, uh, you know, regardless of the circumstances I found myself in, quite enjoyed it. Didn't love it, but enjoyed it. Um, so this is the first time I've seen it in probably about a decade. Um, uh, Matt, you close to loved it. Your previous star rating would, uh, say that you close to loved it. So it was a 3.5 under- before. Okay. How's this? Oh, Not oh close yeah, I saw that's your pretty... new star rating then. Oh, someone blew it. Yeah, I logged really? it. Oh yeah, I logged oh. it. <laughs> loved <Okay>. it. <laughs> loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to let someone else go, but I, I loved it. I'll, I'll, I'll give further details momentarily, but someone else, uh, let, let's hear it. Um, general, you know, let, let, let me hear your story. Uh, Travis or Paris, whoever wants to go set the stage I'll, a little bit. I'll go next. Um, not as fun or interesting as your story. Well, not that your story was fun really, but <laughs> sad. Even. Maybe, maybe fun to listen to. Um, I saw this in the theater. I think this was at the time where. I was going to movies quite frequently. This was um, in a post "Let the Right One In" No Country for Old Men world, right? Yep. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. When Travis had discovered movies. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Um, I remember enjoying it quite a bit. I watching it again now. There were some scenes that I remember that I almost wish I didn't remember because it almost like ruined the shock value of them on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I will give credit to the movie because I actually remembered those scenes. So it is memorable in a way. Um, I do like this movie. I don't love it, but I don't really have anything too negative to say. It's just uh, one of those like solid, fun, campy, gory horror flicks and uh, something that you would expect from Sam Raimi if you have seen the Evil Dead movies. Mm-hmm. For sure, my, yeah. Uh, initial impression. Cool. All right, Paris, you're up. Let's hear it. Okay. Well, I don't have a story about seeing this originally because this was my first watch mm-hmm. of Drag Me to Hell. Um, I really liked it. I actually was uh, pretty surprised um, that I didn't know Sam Raimi directed it. So automatically, I kind of had my mindset, like Travis said, of you know what what I was in store for, and it really it really delivered. Um, I would say, honestly, like, I, I really liked it. Maybe the only things that I found that I didn't quite love were maybe the very, the very 2000s-ness of it. I don't know. It's just, there was a lot of movies made in that era that have a very distinct vibe. And it's just usually, usually whatever vibe you know whatever movie has it it makes it lesser than sometimes not sometimes it's good but like i would say that would that was the only real thing that pulled it down for me but other than that i really really like this movie and i felt like it was a really just a really fun but still spooky you know kind of almost teeny bopper but not quite horror film yeah Cool. Well, so I, <clears throat> I think what's what's so neat about this movie is, Travis. I think you watched the unrated version, but Paris, you and I watched the the PG thirteen like theatrical. Well, movies, is that right? Travis watched the unrated version because he owns it because he's a baller. Right. He's got that exactly. collector's edition. He's um, just throwing balling. cash around like it's on fire. <laughs> yeah, the commentary track on too. <laughs> Just love them. Oh life. yeah, it's, this is a um, you had the special edition, right? Gold case. <laughs> no, actually, I think it's just the uh, the standard Blu-ray, but it does have the unrated cut with it. Honestly, I don't think the unrated cut is that different than the original cut. There's like maybe like four scenes more where there's like gore, an extra right? shot or two. Yeah, it's like more gross out, but like, well, I yeah, I guess. I wouldn't know the goriness of the original because I don't really remember it to that level of detail. Um, but there are a couple scenes that are pretty gory that don't really feel PG-13. And this movie was rated PG-13. So maybe that's it. And mm. we can maybe get into those couple moments a little later. Yeah, because I, I really don't think this movie is gory 
at all. And I think that's part of what the, the movie is playing with because it's it's gross. It's not yeah, it's gory. more gross out than gory. Yeah, I guess gore isn't quite the right word. It's gross. It's very gross. There <laughs> are a lot of gross things. And actually, okay, one of the grossest scenes I actually remembered from the trailer from like whatever, 10 plus years ago whenever it came out and i was like oh my god i remember this from the trailer and i didn't want to see this movie because it grossed me out so much and it's the part where the old romani woman removes her teeth and starts gumming at our main characters like <laughs> oh yeah bottom of her, her face? like chin <laughs> she oh, does that a couple times <laughs> pretty gnarly yeah, that was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And I think I think that's what makes the movie so effective because P- PG thirteen horror, I think especially in that era, very much has a negative connotation to it. It was like right. really lame jump scares, really generic plots, and I think part of what this yeah, movie a lot is, of cutaways. Oh yeah, yeah, it yes. cuts away oh from gore. Yeah, totally. And I think. What this this movie is intentionally trying to be in your face and and on a surface level, just from like a plot perspective, is very generic, right? I mean, it's about a girl who wrongs this woman, you know, a gypsy character, which is like a very classic, like kind of problematic trope in horror films, right? As there's this like so... kind of you know this gypsy gypsy woman who puts a curse on you and your family. Like, <laughs> I actually wanted to kind of go into that before we go any further i think that gypsy is no longer the preferred term i think it's romani and that's why i use that term and we can i don't want to we don't need to get into that too too much but i just i was like should we be using that in now Oh, it's not. It's that's a bad word. I wasn't trying to say that it's like, but that I, I that's, meant literally should the three of us be be using saying a different term? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. Romani is like the um um. That's the so. It's <laughs> I, I said it like five times, so now it's like I know it's a pejorative, but I was right. using it in the sense of like that was a get trope. Us canceled now, man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know. No, I know. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it's not as, I guess it's not quite as harsh as other things, but I think it's still being, like, phased out as, like, a, hey, like, maybe don't use this. It's not, like, appropriate. <laughs> Try oh, totally. this, not that. <laughs> like, literally, I think it's more of a gentle, like, hey, maybe use a different term, you know? But at that at that time, that was, in a lot of movies... That right. was that was a trope, you know. They're gonna be, there's gonna be a curse that's put on your family, and this movie right. is is trying to be playful with that, and also taking the PG thirteen horror, you know, like the like what we already talked about the 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 cuts away from the gore and the the emphasis on jump scares and being intentionally like in your face, and there there are jump scares for sure that happen in this movie, but but I, I think it's feel like. I almost feel like this is it's like it's not, but it's almost a satire of those. I think partially oh, totally. because Sam Raimi has a great way of like doing that, whether purposefully or not, you know. But also like just 
and we can talk about the ending later but like the ending and then some of the way it sort of like subverts some of the tropes I don't know I like I really that was the stuff I liked the most out of it is that like it really kind of reveled in the cheesiness of the scary movies of that era you know kind of like what you're talking about like I don't know about you guys but like I thought, well, this is when I was, like, less, you know, educated on film and movies and stuff. But, like, I kind of thought I didn't like horror because there was so much that came out during those, like, that, like, decade plus that I was just like, this is all trash. Maybe I just don't like scary movies. During, like, your formative years, you mean? Like, the kind of, like, cinema trash that was coming out when we were teenagers, basically? Yeah, and everyone wanted to go see it. And I was like, I just don't like it. Like, it would spook me, you know? I'd get, like, not, like, long, you know, I'd like, jump scare spooks in the theaters. But, like, it wasn't actually scary or, like, well done or interesting, you know? There was just... It was, like, a churning out of a lot of movies like that. and, And it just... It almost it turned me off of of horror for a long time, actually. Yeah, that era is probably known to be a little schlocky slash trashy, and not necessarily in a good way. I mean, every I feel like every decade you can look at has its own specific type of cheap mass thrills. mass appeal. Yeah, cheap thrill like um, right budget horror. That kind of falls under an umbrella. And I think the 2000s, this movie is intentionally being playful with a lot of those um, kind of cliches that have had developed. Right. Um, and it's, it's, I think this movie is hilarious and it's super playful while also being unsettling and gross. Like, I just think it's, it's yeah. so clever in that regard. I feel like mm-hmm. every like big gross out scene or moment, you have a choice where you either react and disgust or you laugh at it or maybe even like a combination of both but yeah like it's it's like simultaneously funny and like not necessarily scary but more like gross out at the same time Mm -hmm. totally definitely and i think that's kind of an extension of um evil dead evil evil dead right i mean that's this yeah. kind of Especially sam, sam raimi dead two and three yeah yeah it's kind of sam raimi returning to his like horror comedy roots um speaking of which um bruce campbell wasn't in this so automatically zero stars bad movie my god <laughs> <laughs> no just joking but actually this was the only sam raimi film ever that bruce campbell wasn't in I wonder why that is. I'm surprised. It would have been so easy to get him in a cameo. Like he, he could have been was... the security guard at the bank or something. Like, right. oh he my was god, busy, like filming something else. Speaking of the bank, did you guys notice that Octavia Spencer? Yes, was that the yes, bank? dude. Yes, I called that out, and Kurt was like, "Who is that?" And I was like, "I can't remember her name." And then I looked her up, and it was Octavia Spencer. And I was like, "She's been in fucking everything. I can't so even believe it." She. Had I thought she was then gonna have a role, scene, right? That I don't cut think. Out. You, for her to There's have no way she was cast as an extra <laughs> right because in the scene well, where she appears in the movie she's year, essentially an extra what yeah what year did the help come out 2011 i think and what year did this come out 2009 2009 wasn't that kind of her breakout role like i know she was in a lot of stuff before that but wasn't that kind of her breakout like main role yeah, yeah, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, I think the help was kind of when people. So maybe she was just really an extra in this. 
It's certainly possible. It's, I'm, I'm it looking. seems weird though for her to to be cast as a as an extra. I feel like she had maybe credits before she, that that made her she, more of a. I star. don't know. Maybe she like had worked with Sam Raimi or someone close to him, and it was more like a fun thing for her to be in the movie. You know, some people do that sometimes. She was in Spider Man, the original Spider Man. I'm looking at her credit her oh, credits now. She was in okay. Spider Man, so maybe. That that's feels the link? like that's gotta be. Yeah, he must have like liked. She was with the check-in girl in Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, of course, classic role, chicken girl. Oh yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> so anyway, kind of getting back on track on uh on, on drag me to hell. Um, to get super specific, what it, what did you guys think? I had kind of forgotten. Um from my first watch, but I totally saw it coming. The, the twist with the coin versus the button and the envelope thing. I mean, was that, did you know right away that that was happening? You did? Yes. So first time watch saw it immediately because they made such a big deal about it Mm -hmm. that it can't just be in someone else's possession. She has to like formally gift it to them. So that they can be the owner. And it's literally as soon as they put that button in a damn envelope, I was like, oh, they're going to switch that with the coin that they made such a big deal about before. They mentioned the coin like five times in the movie. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh. And then when she, you know, mixed up the papers, I was like, obviously that's what's happening. Like, I felt like if you didn't understand that's what's happening at that point, like, have you seen a movie before? Well, I think I kind of got the impression the second time that that that's explicitly what the movie is trying to poke fun at because there's so much build up to like the coin collection. He collects coins. There's a conversation at the dinner table about the coin. He puts the coin in the envelope and then in the car, she just drops the envelope and it gets mixed up and it just seems so obvious that I I hope that it was trying to make a point of that, you know, it was like making fun of that, that, that super, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A convenience, like very heavily written switcheroo that happens in these Mm. movies, right? The old switcheroo. Where you're trying to like pull the rug out from under the audience and it just, because even the, the first shot, of her holding the envelope after the old switcheroo, it seems so obvious to me that it's a coin in the envelope. It's like the ridges of the coin are poking through the paper. Like it just, it just seemed to me like the movie was screaming out, Hey, I'm the coin. Pay attention to me. Isn't this stupid? And I wonder if it was either, it could have been one of two things. It could have been like poking fun at the very obvious switcheroos that are done in these types of movies or it could have been also trying to lead the audience to think that then Justin Long would then be the carrier of the curse. Which I thought could have been another possibility. But then it, they made such a big point of that you have to like formally gift it to someone. Right. So I was like, mm, that doesn't feel quite right. I don't know. If it wasn't, I think the movie gets more credit if it was poking fun at that. But I feel like, like I said, this is almost a satire. And so I feel like it almost didn't poke enough fun at it. So it all, like, I wasn't sure if it was either satirizing or if it was just doing that, 
You know what I mean? Right. And that's 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 why I raised the question because I it, it kind of seems like it was trying to be like making a point of of how obvious that was, but I mean the script is is super playful in that regard. I mean, there's the the re- it yeah, almost I feels like totally a bit. See that being it feels like a bit a thing. <laughs> yeah, especially for Sam Raimi. Like, I mean, it's he's been around the block a few times. So, oh yeah, I just I think it feels like now that you say it, I'm like, okay, that's that feels like it was that feels like they were doing a bit, but maybe it wasn't communicated quite well enough. You know what I mean? Well, so to be fair, this was the first time you had seen it, right? So I I knew that that was the twist. So watching it a second time, Mm, I was paying extra special attention to the envelope and how that whole thing played out. And it just seemed every step of the way from the moment it's introduced, it just seems so obvious. So it it read to me like a bit, you know? (laughs) I could. You know, now that you guys are talking about it more, I could see that. That's fair. Maybe and maybe on a rewatch, that that's what I would get as well. If I already knew, if I already knew that was right. Happen. I think he is having fun with it though, and he does play the movie mostly straight, besides like the right. the big moments, and then that's where you can kind of choose where you want to get spooked or laugh or both. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the ending plays into the like satire of it all because it's. I don't want to spoil the ending or maybe I, maybe we do, but <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's going for one thing and then it kind of pulls the rug out from under you again. I did want to actually mention something that you just said. Like there were some legitimate scares in this that kind of like, not, not jump scares per se, but like, and part of it was the gross out factor, but there was definitely a couple times that was like, uh, you know, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely spooked me a little bit, which I was not expecting and kind of impressed with. I forget that Sam Raimi is so good that he like knows how to ride that line very well between funny and scary. And oh, gross. totally. It's it. It feels very much like a classic Sam Raimi movie. It, it's just it's just a blast from start to finish. And there's like. One of the other bits that I thought was really funny was basically every time she encounters um, the woman who puts the curse on her, she, she gets like a chunk hair. of hair pulled out like every time. So <laughs> actually my, you know, my fun fact trivia digging, I found a very interesting fan theory that kind of links into that. I wanted Ooh. to know what you guys thought about it. Okay. You've seen it twice now. There's a theory that the running theme of the movie is about the main character's um, eating disorder. And it kind of makes sense. Um, (laughs) So there's there's a thing about how, and I'm not going to go into too much because honestly you could go down a rabbit hole with it. But it's basically like the, the curse is a metaphor for her eating disorder. So, like, she, when she was a girl growing up on the farm, she was, like, a, a girl in a larger body. And she clearly, like, is in a much smaller body now. Mm-hmm. And it's mentioned We didn't get that flashback. That, like, Sorry. Yeah, we did. It's an on-screen. We literally yeah, we did. did. Yes. In the picture Wait, and of her she's on bigger? the farm that yeah, she, she was, crumples up. She was, yeah, chub- she was, she was like chubby a, when she was, like was younger. Chub- yeah, she was, like, a... They draw attention uh, to that. Child. 
Yes, and then I she guess crumples. I didn't really notice. <laughs> they draw attention to it. She crumples up the photo. It's also mentioned when um, the woman's the woman who died's daughter answers the door. She goes, "You used to be fat." Like it's 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 explicitly said at at that point if you didn't pick it up from the photo, and then she never eats in the whole movie. Even when she goes to pick up lunch for the other two men, she's just drinking coffee and water. And then there's like scenes like the nosebleed scene, which is a common thing of uh, bulimia with anorexia. And like just a, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of rotten food in of, the movie too, right? Yep, exactly. And then there's... Oh. I, again, honestly, like I'm not going to get into it too, too much. But like there is... If you there, it's kind of one of those interesting fan theories that I think that the there was a ton of explanation, and again, I didn't get too far into it, but it kind of it intrigued me, and I was wondering what you guys thought about it. I would have never picked up on that, but now that you point all that out, it sounds like it's there subtly. But I don't know if that's it's. It would be kind of weird if that was their intention when writing it, but it does kind of check out. Like even with the dessert that she makes. She's like kind of grossed out by it, and of well, course, well, so it's because that's, oh, and yeah. that's, that's what triggers her is she makes that dessert, right? She brings the cake to them, and then when she goes to eat it, that's when she starts. That's what triggers her, like having the hallucinations, her, like, hallucination slash demon visiting her, whatever. And then she starts screaming and banging the door of the kitchen, and it just like when you dive deeper into it, it does. Feel like it might be an undercurrent or maybe that was in an early draft of the script and they decided to to scrap it or something but so back to when we were first talking about the, how the themes fit together I was very curious to see how Matt was going to try to fit these two movies together theme wise as feminist horror but I would say if this is a commentary on her eating disorder I could see that more See, I told you, unrealistic body standards for young women. Exactly. Is, uh... <laughs> no, the angle I was going to try to take was the, the workplace angle where she is portrayed as, you know, in her, her work environment not being cutthroat totally. enough and she's being undercut by this new hire who's like super aggressive he's an ass kisser and the whole thing that sets yeah. off the chain of events is that she feels like she needs to prove herself to of course her male boss by being kind of a piece of shit you know to help the company and that's what sets off the right. whole series of events that's a very well, small aspect it, of it though yeah and I, I actually liked that I, I kind of was following that theme and I actually kind of like that like reading of the movie and that like basically like the two characters, her and the other character that are that are trying to go for the assistant manager spot. Clearly that's her driving force at the, the beginning of the movie. That's what sets off the whole plot, right? Mm -hmm. He's being considered, even though he has less experience, because he's a lot more aggressive. Mm -hmm. When she then goes to be more aggressive, she's immediately cursed. AKA like one could extrapolate on that and be say like, okay, now she's seen as a bitch and you know, people don't like when women are aggressive and a bitch. And you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I kind of actually was <laughs> yeah. following that, that line. Um, even, even Kurt, when we were watching it together, he was like, Oh, she's obviously being like 
not being taken seriously just because she's a woman, even though she's been in longer the role and clearly has more experience and knowledge. She's not being taken seriously for this promotion position simply because she's a woman. They even dismiss her when they're like, oh, could you go get me my lunch, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then I don't, I don't want to spoil the ending if we're not going to. But ultimately, I think throughout the movie, she is being punished for making the, quote, tough decision. They even call it, like, you need to make the tough decisions. And so it's like, she as a woman is being punished for making the tough decisions when her male counterpart wouldn't be. That's the patriarchy. Hell is the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the patriarchy. (laughs) Fuck misogyny. Hell hell is where you go when you write a stripper pole down, (laughs) you know, where queer people live. I think hell is a paradise. And... (laughs) (laughs) and and even kind of on a more macro level than that there's the there's the trope of um what's the word i'm looking for not maniacal that's horrible like a uh a a woman who is not believed you know what i mean like she's trying to tell her truth and it's disregarded hysterical hysteria that's the word i was looking for she's treated as just being Mm -hmm. hysteria even by her own partner it takes forever Mm -hmm. for him to believe and we never really get the idea that he's on board you know i don't think he ever actually believes i think (laughs) but not even that i think he's a very very logical and rational person and i think at he when he kind of takes the turn i think that he decides to be supportive even though he doesn't believe which i have no problem with but i don't think at any point he ever believes until again the ending whatever oh totally and she constantly is doubting herself because of him, you know, he he's always has some rational es- explanation for what she's seeing and experiencing, and it's like you know what that's internalized misogyny. Right. You know what I mean? This movie is so feminist, you guys. I'm so glad I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when she gets her palm read or whatever, like you know, um, the scene after that in the car, he's basically just like downplaying that whole visit, like. Yeah, he well, just wanted your is, money. Right, And right. there is an air of, like, even before that, and, and, and at the end he's like, or toward the end when he's like, I the night I fell in love with you, I promised myself I would always take care of you. And I'm like, why does she need... Not, not that that's not bad. It was sweet and romantic. But why does she need to be taken care of? Because throughout the whole movie he's like, I'll pay for you, I'll take care of it, I'll make sure you're okay. And, like, he's a very nice person. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with him. But also, there is kind of that patriarchal vibe where, like, he needs to be the breadwinner mm-hmm. so he can, like, take care of her. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that's definitely an element to their relationship. So, um. basically, what I'm saying is, Matt, good job, I guess, on picking these. Because, secretly, <laughs> this movie also is very feminist. <laughs> Uh, like twenty minutes into it, I was like, "Ugh, how am I? How am I gonna spin the uh, <laughs> the link here?" <laughs> you know, because um, I had forgotten. I had forgotten that. <clears throat> excuse me. I had forgotten that it was written by uh, Sam Raimi and his brother, like two white dudes. I just assumed mm-hmm. it was like he was directing it. But I mean, the next movie we're gonna do was you know directed by a white male, but written by a woman. So I was I, for some reason I. The- Ginger Snaps definitely has feminist tones. We'll talk Much about that more later, overt, yeah, yeah, for sure. But 
Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of this stuff we've been talking about the last 10 minutes or so is subtext, and you could completely miss that watching the movie, especially totally. the first time around. Oh, totally. Especially the eating disorder thing. Like That makes perfect oh, yeah. sense, you bringing that up now, Paris, but I, uh, I right. didn't pick up on that element at all. I would say cool. this movie definitely has more of a feminine subtext, but once you read into it, it's like, oh, shit, that's pretty, uh, pretty, you know, pro-women, I guess. This movie has layers. <laughs> Such good layers. This is huge. Who thought? Fuck. Sam Raimi. What a, <laughs> Sam Raimi, a champion of women. Who would have thought? <laughs> Might have to go up half a star. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, uh, we should move on to Ginger Snaps. Uh, any last thoughts on uh, Drag Me to Hell before we uh, give stars and move on? One last thing I'll say is some of the effects are not that great. Yeah. And yes. they don't really hold up to today's standards. Honestly. I actually meant to ask you guys, since it sounded like, well, at least, Travis, you saw this in theaters. Was it originally shown in 3D? Because some of the effects looked weirdly it like seemed they like were it, meant right? to be shown in 3D, yeah. right? Like, in that weird, like, kind of cheesy Now that thing. you mention it, I feel like that was a thing. Was Drag Me to Hell 3D a thing? Do you guys know? It, that I was feel like right that around was the, the time. era of everything came out in 3D. So Post-Avatar world, yeah. Oh yeah. It I Haley had the exact same comment. She asked me and she was like, "Was this like a 3D movie when it came out?" And I was like, "I don't know, probably." It sure seemed like it in in certain moments. Yeah. Definitely with the body horror stuff, like the vomit and the projectiles and <laughs> definitely felt like it, it would have been the, uh, the anvil falling on her and her eyes popping out of her head. Oh, don't oh, even yeah. get me started on that damn anvil. <laughs> <laughs> why do you, why does anyone have an anvil tied up in their shed? I don't understand. Oh, one of one of my favorite touches that I, I thought was just so like hilarious and tongue in cheek was at the start of the seance scene towards the end where they're in the uh, that, you know, that house and they're having the seance with that woman from the beginning of the movie with and White Philip with White Philip. Yes. <laughs> And there's like a uh, right before the seance starts, like the assistant like goes over to one of those like uh, um, like dial lights and he like turns it to set it to like seance lighting. You know what I'm talking about? Those like. Oh, yeah. He like, <laughs> he dims like turns the lighting. Like, yeah, he dims it. it. Which is. I thought that was actually a really funny, like tongue in cheek kind of thing. Because oh, yeah. the lighting in those scenes in every movie is always like very like dim and spooky but i like that it wasn't just it didn't just cut to the scene and then it just was dim and spooky he like had to dim the lighting it was so funny i love that touch and i also love there's there's one other i took a note when i was watching the movie um i laughed out loud when uh the main character goes back to the the psychic and she says i did what you said i killed the little kitty cat (laughs) Like just her delivery of those lines just I, fucking cracked me up. I hated that. I was so sad. Well, like, she like grabs you kill the, your own cat. She grabs the knife and she's like, "Here, kitty, kitty." Oh I was god. like, "Oh my god, this movie is really going there, huh?" I couldn't oh, even so handle that. And then when she meets the parents. He refers to her cat and she's or she says, like, I used to have a cat. Oh, my he's God. Like, what are you and talking she's so, about? He's and like, she's so to? weird about it. And she's like, well, you know how cats are. They come yeah. and they. Oh. <laughs> I was like, kill or cover up <laughs> for your fucking murder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was such a 
totally believable. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. There's just so many moments like, like that of awkward humor and just like yeah. very yeah. tongue in cheek uh, nods to like, you know, horror movie tropes or just yes. just weird elements of the film that are, it doesn't really draw attention to itself too much, but when it gets crazy, it gets crazy. Like the, when this movie goes for it, it fucking goes for it. You know what I mean? Like the, the kind of set piece moments are just so fun and over the top and simultaneously revolting and, and uh, terrifying. Like, I just think it's, this movie is a blast, and I loved it. And I don't, I'm not gonna say anything else beyond that, but I loved it. Loved it. Um, it is a very fun horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> star ratings. I think we should do star ratings. Yeah. All right, Paris, go ahead. Um, I gave it a four. After our conversation, it. I I actually even considered maybe going up a half star. I think this would probably go up on a rewatch for me, though. It was. Really fun, really, like, cheesy in a good way. And I think the only reason it was a little, like, at a 4 instead of a 4.5 or higher even, like, was because some of the cheesiness, like, didn't feel quite tongue-in-cheek on a first watch. But it sounds like, I think, on a second watch it would. And uh, some some of the, uh, like... Not not graphical, but the special effects elements do. The CGI of it was a little uh, lacking. It makes it even harder to distinguish between whether it's supposed to be funny or just is funny because it looks silly right. with the cheap effects, you know? So, yeah, it, it, it's very much a 2009 movie in that regard, you know? Um and I I ended up going with a four point five on my rewatch. I loved it. Huge. Wow. Uh, I was initially a four. I was gonna go down to three point five, but our conversation has uh, solidified it as a four. Wait. So at what point were you gonna go down to a three point five? Uh, before our conversation. But you said wait. So. Say that again. So your first Sorry, watch, it was first a four. watch, four stars. Okay. Second okay. watch, three point five. But now that we've had this conversation, it's back at four. four. I see. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to part two of the double feature. Uh, we're talking Ginger Snaps. So this is a highly regarded cult classic Canadian horror film. Uh, plot synopsis on this one. I'm pulling it up now. If IMDb would just um, fucking load itself. There we go. All right. Two death-obsessed sisters, outcasts in their suburban neighborhood, must deal with the tragic consequences when one of them is bitten by a deadly werewolf. Uh, directed by John Fawcett. Written by Karen Walton. And the film stars Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel. Who would like to go first on Ginger Snaps? Uh, I'll go. All right. I uh, like this a good amount. Um, I know it's got like a cult following to it, and I think it is um, mostly deserved. Uh, It does look and feel like a early 2000s television show just like the way it's shot mm. 
and just like the the vibe of it like it almost reminded me of twin peaks at times just with yes. like the the heavy use of music and the setting and just like the way it was shot which is you know looks like a tv show uh some really good practical effects i thought the the title never really made sense like it just seemed like a a weird title for a movie like this like you you read the title you read the synopsis they don't really match in my opinion but once you see the movie the title makes total sense and is actually pretty clever <laughs> mhm yeah um but i feel like you wouldn't you wouldn't really get that unless you actually see the movie um i like the like the metaphor slash theme it's going for with the whole werewolf thing um i thought some of the performances were good i mean there's nothing to like write home about but um i did like the two main girls at least and uh fucking killer soundtrack am i right oh yeah <laughs> bangers start to finish wait did it what was in the soundtrack? i was being a little sarcastic um I don't even but, remember. Uh, just to it's name a few bands. Corny. It's pretty corny. <laughs> <laughs> we got Hatebreed, Machine Head, Saliva, oh, Shadows actually, Fall, no, Cradle of I Filth, When Soul we were Fly, watching it, Kurt all the it up and was like, <laughs> was like, oh, this soundtrack is going to be great. And then he literally listed me all of that. And I was like, oh. Okay. I mean, it is. It's like a mixture of good and it's, bad butt rock. Yeah. And then hate breed. It's very, it's very, very <laughs> fitting for the movie. I would say totally. Um, cool. Okay, uh, Paris, should I go or do you want to go? You can go. Um, this was huge, you guys. Uh, I <laughs> loved it. Absolutely loved huge. it. I, I still haven't decided on a star rating yet. I watched it last night. <clears throat> I'm still still kind of thinking on it, but oh man, I, I think the first two thirds are where it's at its strongest. I kind of started to lose interest a little bit in the final act and you know, I can give more specifics later, but I just I love the tone of it. I love the writing. Like I think the screenplay is just so fun and clever and it's like quippy, snappy dialogue that I love. Now I think the two sisters are perfectly cast. I think both of them are so distinct, but they make so much sense as sisters and I love on its surface, you can just read it as a as a werewolf movie, but like Travis alluded to, there's a subtext and different, you know, metaphors you can read into. I mean, there's definitely the the through line of like of of womanhood and coming of age and menstruation, and there's multiple right. ways you can read that stuff. And um I just I thought it was so clever and maybe a, a little generic in its plot strokes because i mean it, it it does in some ways feel like a late 90s early 2000s like teen coming of age movie just mm. in the way that it kind of plays out but also loved the body horror elements of the film like i think the werewolf towards the end uh, when we finally get a good look at it looks 
pr- pretty dumb, uh, but the other body horror elements I think hold up pretty well by and large. I think I think that stuff for the most part holds up. I don't know how you guys felt about those like gore elements, but, but you do have to give it credit for sticking with practical effects. Oh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> they, they use only prosthetics and makeup, no CGI for this. So I felt that while some of the effects were a little cheesy at times, I would prefer cheesy practical effects than cheesy CGI where you can just, it feels so like obviously done by a computer kind of thing. Oh, totally. And I think it works perfect. Like I loved the dismembered dog stuff. So good. (laughs) Just the the dog guts (laughs) and the picking up the dog and the leg ripping off. Like it worked super well for those elements. More so in the final act. Folks, Matt loves dog guts. Love dog guts. Towards the end, though, uh, wasn't a huge fan of the design of the uh, the lycanthrope itself, but uh, you know, it was at least memorable. I'll, I'll yeah, for sure give a little that. a little cheesy, maybe, but I still still applaud it for going the practical route. Sure, uh, Paris, your turn. Yeah, so I want to just say first off, I really enjoyed this movie. I liked a lot of the themes, like Matt, you were talking about sort of the uh, allegory of like puberty and the changing, you know, transform transformation, except instead of a coming to be a woman, you know, it's you turn into a werewolf. I loved all of that. Um, I actually so just as a general rule, I'm not usually a fan of werewolf movies. And, um, you know, part of that is because of the obvious rivalry of, you know, I love vampire movies, so vampires versus werewolves, duh. But no, but really it's like more, there's always an element of the transformation. And I find that werewolf transformations are often handled just not well. Either they're very low budget and you, you just see too much where you're like, well, that looks bad. Or there's too much CGI and it just looks silly. Or the final element just doesn't quite work. And so I actually, unlike you, Matt, I thought that this transformation worked really well. Because clearly it was a lower budget, but they didn't show. They didn't show too much. You know what I mean? Like they knew what to show and what not to. And I really appreciated that. Paris, have you ever seen an American Werewolf in London? Only once, and I and I, I think I was like very sleepy, and I like fell asleep before that it like got good. Is a transformation scene. Yeah, that one's really good. That that and Black Sheep, the New Zealand uh, horror movie, oh, God. the two best uh, <laughs> transformation uh, scenes. <laughs> well, so so actually, American Werewolf in London is one that I've. I've wanted to rewatch because again, I'm pretty sure I like fell asleep halfway through or like it was one of those things where it's like I watched part of it, but definitely not all of it. So I definitely would want to rewatch, but I just feel like usually werewolf movies are, are just generally, they don't do the transformations well. And like this one, I think it handled all of that really well, actually like kind of had a little bit of a campy, funny element to it, Mm -hmm. but also like, showed enough without showing too much and i think that for a lower budget film like really like excelled in that way i also 
like, oh, yeah, I also, Matt, it's really funny that you mentioned the title of the movie, how it kind of, like, doesn't make sense until you start watching it, because Kurt almost immediately into the movie goes, oh, is it called Ginger Snaps? Because Ginger, you know, snaps. And I was (laughs) dying. Because I hadn't, like, made that connection yet. And um, I guess, you know, he's smarter than me, obviously. Um, I don't know. I really, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Even if, unlike Drag Me to Hell, where all of the feminism is very, very subtext, as we talked about. This definitely wore that on its sleeve. Almost to a fault, though. It felt a little on the nose. And I think that might have been really the main thing that was the detractor for me in this. Like I said, I mostly liked it, but just it felt a little obvious. If you guys know what I mean. Oh, totally. I think it's... Like, this movie feels like the the precursor to, like, the MySpace emo generation. Like, yes. this, it just exudes teenage angst, this whole movie. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? Like, you know that the, right. who, the, the, the woman who wrote this movie was, like, bullied in high school, was probably a goth. And then she just, she wrote this screenplay and it's, like, opens with these, like super awesome like staged deaths like these polaroid picture freeze frames of very, these super elaborate deaths very i actually did like and i was those, here uh, for it yeah <laughs> oh yeah i love awesome. that opening credits were amazing um but yeah very very like fuck you mom uh teenager you know just like <laughs> okay actually gothic can we talk angst. about this can we talk about this for a second? Because the whole movie, they're like, uh, fucking whatever their mom's name is. They call her by her first name, like mm-hmm. Linda or Patricia She's or whatever. such and a great mom, the though. The mom is awesome. She's when the best. The mom finds out when the mom thinks that they have murdered a gal. She's like, no problem. We'll burn down the house. We'll run away. Fuck your dad. Your dad's a tool. <laughs> yeah, like, what about I am gonna, I am going to go on the lamb for you. And I immediately was like, that is the coolest mom in the world. She fucking rules. And I think, I think that's intentional because usually in these like teenage angst movies, the characters are rebelling against their super conservative, overwhelming helicopter mom. And the mom is just so chill. She's always awesome. You know what I mean? She's never like pressing them for details. They're sitting at the dinner table and she's like trying to make conversation. And her daughters are just like, you know, shitty towards her. But she doesn't respond poorly, you know. It's really funny because watching this as a 29-year-old woman, I was like, oh, no. Because like that is how I was. It's really funny when you were like, this is kind of almost on that MySpace emo like fuck you mom kind of like era like that was me as a young teen and i was like oh my god they're so fucking annoying and stupid (laughs) and that's all i could think is like i saw myself in these gals and i did not like it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, so just I'm I don't know. Generally speaking, I I absolutely loved it. The only thing I would say is a negative is 
that the fact that it's low budget and has that early 2000s aesthetic which is just not right it's 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 more pronounced i don't know if you guys noticed this but it's it's most pronounced in the daytime scenes outside anytime so they're outside they, in the daytime it it looked like garbage <laughs> part of that was because and this is my little you know trivia fun fact digging Hell yeah. part of that was because most of those scenes weren't actually filmed during the daytime. They were filmed at night with very high lighting, and then they just Yikes. like try to adjust. Oh, it they post. did the post production. <laughs> but usually it's the opposite. Usually it's filmed during the day and then like darkened to look like nighttime. This was the opposite. Yeah, there's a really bad example of that in um, Deliverance. Holy shit! Deliverance, like the '70s movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I think it's shot during the day, but they pretend it's actually at night. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty common awful. thing, especially in older films when they like couldn't afford looks to like. Awful. Yeah, and also like don't have the right lighting or whatever to film at night, whatever, and then they'll just darken it in post. And again, it's like from the seventies or whatever, so usually it like looks really bad. This was just the reverse of that. I see. I'm sure. Yeah, it it just doesn't look good, but I don't know. For the most part, I think it's it's well directed. It's not like offensively ugly for the most part. You know, it's... it feels like a like a like a like a very like most teen angsty movies are pretty dumb, and this feels like it. It's not not dumb, but it kind of elevates the the genre a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. I can see that. Um, totally lost my train of thought. There was something I was about to bring up and do not remember. Um, I mean, while you're thinking of that, I can just say that I forget his name, but like the drug dealer van guy that was helping them. Mm -hmm. What a damn hunk. Can we just for a moment (laughs) appreciate? Come on, Travis. Is this uh, a 2009 Paris talking or... (laughs) Well, this came out in like the early two thousands, did it not? Two, they came out in the year two thousand. Oh, okay. Right, so this is, is this like two thousand Paris. So two thousand <laughs> Paris would have been so into that boy, man. On, like, on that same that's note, what I'm saying I, I, when I was a teenager, I would have had such a crush on Ginger. For sure. I mean, oh, you yeah. both know also, I've got a thing for redheads. I mean, oh yeah. Ugh. To a weird, yeah. Anyway, oh my God. <laughs> we're done. With yeah, that. I don't want to talk about Matt's weird. <laughs> um, oh, I did want to say so uh, in regards to the werewolf transformation. I did. I hated the aesthetic right before she went full werewolf. Like when, when she goes to the party at the Halloween party. She, I, I thought that looked so was stupid. Here for it. really. Uh, no, it looks Star like Trek uh, vibes. It's like a Vulcan or something. No, yeah. literally, she looked like <laughs> like like Next Generation or uh, Deep Space Nine Star Trek vibes. Totally, she 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 had like the horns on her head. I mean, she looked like a Vulcan. Like that's what she looked right. like. It was like but an albino Vulcan. Because, like I loved it because one, it was a Halloween party, so people were just like, "Wow, your makeup looks great." Killer costume, and then right, and then two. I just love that the dude who literally knows that she is a werewolf at that moment still trying to bone. Still low-key trying to Trying to bone. get that tail. 
Literally. Oh, oh my God. We haven't talked about the tail. <laughs> It was very like when they're like duct taping it to it her gets leg and so PE. much bigger. Yeah. Well, so it was kind of interesting. So I loved how this movie plays on a lot of things. Like it plays on a lot of like tropes of like a woman getting her period and having to deal with all that or just like teens in general going through puberty. But I also felt like the taping the tail down. I was like, is this a metaphor for like a penis? And she has to like tape it down so like people can't see it you know how like dudes have to like hide their boners in their waistbands so like they don't see it when they're like you know when they first like figure out they get boners and don't want to like go up in front of their math class and like show off their boner or whatever oh yeah i i, I didn't i didn't investigate too much like i didn't do a ton of reading on it but i do know there is a uh, a trans reading that is applied to this movie as part of its like cult following oh, and really? critical evaluation. Yeah. I mean that that is an explicit like reading of the film is that there's like, you know, a, a trans element of like mm. they're they're kind of asexual and they have zero interest in boys and they the movie treats menstruation as like, you know, a, as a death. The movie kind of treats it as like Oh well, mm. it's over for us. You know what I mean. Now we're no longer special. We've I've got right. my period. It's over for us. You know what I mean. So it's like kind of viewing it. You know, taping the the phallic that. tail and her kind of pushing against the menstruation and wanting to avoid that for as long as possible. Like again, I, I didn't do a ton of reading, but I, that's yeah. the the lens through which I think they I they view see it. That. I guess I more read it as an allegory both for male and female puberty yeah you know like it could be either like literally female puberty and that she's like gets her fucking blood shit whatever gross Mm -hmm. um and then also like has a penis kind of you know i kind of read it as like it could be for either like it's more about like you're changing especially like when she has sex for the first time and like she's the aggressor and it kind of felt like she maybe actually I did want to talk to you guys about this. Did she like sexually assault or rape that boy? Um, I think that's kind of implied because he he was very resistant. I mean, I think ultimately the movie lands on oh he's a boy, so you know. He, he he ultimately ended Which up enjoying I don't it and you know love. I don't right. love to do it. that <laughs> I don't yeah no that's kind of where I was like I was a little uncomfortable because I kind of felt like that was like the tables turning scene of like a you know sexual assault or rape or whatever but I didn't love that the movie seemed to almost dismiss that like that can't happen to men but wasn't you know, it women, also trying women to can't rape men go the female angle showing that she actually has power in that situation right yeah exactly because it i was feel kind like of he initializes like and I then she's sure. like hold on let me take over from here and... i did like that he was like no you just need to lie back and lay there and she was like no fuck you <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did like that i just i don't know there was a lot of mixed 
things in there. Especially in a modern context. Like, I think what Travis is alluding to is that it was kind of playing for, like, he was uncomfortable with her turning the tables on on him, you know, and her being the aggressor. But then the very next day when he shows up to, you know, gym class, his friends are like, what happened to you? And he was like... Ginger Fitzgerald, that's what happened. And they're like, eh, fuck <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's definitely really, like, gross and misogynist and shitty and douchey, like, the whole movie. So, like, I think it's, like, set up for that thing. But then well, also, like, he, she definitely, like, he definitely in that moment seems like he doesn't want whatever is happening to yes, happen. So yes. I was like, ooh, I totally. don't love this. Yeah. That that's not great, obviously, and you know there's there there's those elements that uh, watching the film through a modern lens feel a little yeah, uncomfy. But I, also, but I also feel like there's a lot of stuff that she does that isn't like like we're not supposed to root for Ginger necessarily. Like she takes her ownership of like I think there's a there's an interesting read on it where it's like you could say like she takes her ownership as a woman and she takes her power back and then she almost like uses it to be shitty she exploits you know her what power. i mean exactly like she she takes her power back and rather than just being a strong powerful woman she then tries to almost like be a strong powerful man you know with and like with the the history of how shitty men have been i'm okay with it for this movie <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i almost i kind of like that reading though because I feel like it shows like almost from like that can happen a lot in even like in modern feminism like misogyny and patriarchy like patriarchy essentially stifles both men and women but like stifles women from being strong so when women take back their power how do they see power they see power as how men use it so it's just the reverse. So it's just the, I am the aggressor now versus I am powerful and strong in my own right. doesn't mean you have to be aggressive or shitty. Right. Oh, totally. And I kind of enjoy, I kind of liked that. Like it showed that like, sometimes that does happen. Like when, when women feel powerful, sometimes they can kind of, it's kind of that, like, I'm not like other girls trope. Where it's like when women feel powerful because they have male friends, they want to separate themselves from women or be shitty to men. You know, it's this like weird cyclical thing. Well, I, and I, I thought it was interesting. And I think I think that's perfectly exemplified. I was going to I was going to circle back to this anyway, but that's a perfect segue. My favorite line in the movie, it comes towards the end, like in the school Um Ginger's character says something along the lines. She's like talking about her, um, you know, her uh, being a werewolf and the the cravings that she has after she just murdered somebody. And she right. has the line where she says, like, I thought this, this craving I've had was just for sex, but I want to tear everything to pieces. Like something right. along those lines. And that's just like such a powerful idea and really taps into what the movie is going for in its portrayal of like female sexuality and all of these themes that is interweaving is like you know it's not just it's, it's turning those power dynamics on its head because it's like it's not that she just wanted to fuck like she 
wants to destroy everything. You know what I mean? Like she wants to rip things to pieces and that's I mean, just who doesn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, that's the, that's a, a very literal um, on the nose uh, way to express that, uh, that subtext. But I, I love that line when it happened. Ginger no, snaps. Really, yep. Yeah. She literally snaps. No, I really, I really like that. Cause I hadn't thought about that line in that context. And I think that that's kind of, that's kind of weaves into the whole like feminism uh, undercurrent through this whole movie. It's like power doesn't just mean fucking it can, it just, you just want it. It's not just aggression. It's wanting to tear everything down to pieces. Like that's kind of interesting. Or even like maybe not literally, but in this movie it makes that idea literal. Like I think it's tapping into the right. notion that for men, it's that they, you know, it's a it's a power position, but really it taps into the idea of like, you know, I, I could destroy you right now if I if I wanted to. You right. know what I mean? Well, and I mean, I think it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about, like with sexual assault and rape that usually isn't about sexual attraction. It's about power. Yeah. And so she kind of does turn the tables and it's like she doesn't want sex or like to have sex with men and dominate them there it's just she just wants that power she just wants to rip men's throats out and destroy them and just she uh... just wants to be powerful <laughs> and have that over everyone yeah right oh man fucking love this movie you guys we should probably uh <laughs> we should probably uh start wrapping her up um but what other thoughts on ginger snaps before we uh, give star ratings I don't think I really have any other thoughts. Yeah, me too. I feel like we kind of explored a lot of the stuff that I that I thought about during the movie, for sure. Uh, real quick, I want to share this killer uh, letterboxed review. Uh, <laughs> could one consider this oh. a period piece? Oh, oh my god. What? <laughs> my god. Uh, that is pretty good. <laughs> I don't know whether to boo or applaud. Like uh, you can do oh, both. No, you gotta <laughs> applaud that one. Come on. Um Okay. Alright, alright. So uh oh here's another good one. Uh Ginger Snaps, more like Ginger Slaps. This movie was <laughs> so oh, underrated. That one's a boo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love Letterboxd reviews. Leave it to the pros, whoever that was. Fucking, you know what? Can I just say real quick, though? Letterboxd reviews are amazing because it's very rarely people who are actually critics. So it's just dumb movie nerds. It's and just they bits. are the best. It's people oh, yeah. just trying to best. get likes with their dumb jokes. Like, get the but clicks. That's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny and stupid. Uh, here's another one. This movie would have turned out a lot different if it was called Snickerdoodles. <laughs> that's just so stupid, but... <laughs> I don't even... I don't... I, don't, I hate I it. Don't. Why, though? Uh, Why? Okay. The first one was the best one by far. Yeah, Matt, I think we're just going down from here. All right, I'm going to quit doing, going down the Letterboxd <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, star ratings. Let's hear them. Oof. I'm uh, between a three and a half and a four on this one. I gave it a four. Uh, I'm I five. I'm fucking going five on this thing. I fucking wow. loved it. Yeah, I... I'm, 
I've already bought the Blu-ray. You seem to really not like the werewolf transition, so I'm curious about I that. bought the Blu-ray before I even finished the fucking movie. I had like wow. I had like 20 minutes left and I went on Amazon okay. and I was like, I okay, have to have this thing. Let's be honest, though. Is the Blu-ray going to be a better quality, like, visually than what we streamed? Because I feel like no, right? Well, oh. it's not so much. It was not so much. So. Yeah. Has it been remastered? Like, I don't understand. No, it's not so much that. It's, it's the ads thing and it's I want to be able to watch it when I want to watch it. This Fair whole enough. streaming future we did, where we did watch this on Peacock where there was ads every that a lot actually made too. it feel even more like it was a TV show because there were so many ads. Oh, Didn't totally. Help. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I that for more oh, Matt, so for you buy me. The, sorry to cut you off. Did you buy the collector's edition? Um, oh my god I Matt. Do like that's the only one available if it's on is it 15 bucks yep that's the one I bought that's oh my god uh, is that hey, a Shout no, Factory release yeah I, I'm not gonna lie I don't like that cover but <laughs> well the regular cover should be on the reverse they usually have like a original poster art on the back and then like their own custom cover art is the front how do you know this is Shout Factory? Did you look at the uh, Blu-ray.com, baby. Oh, Collector's shit. edition, Shout Factory. Travis but yeah, it says right here. the Matt. Blu-ray expert. Packaging, slip cover in original pressing slash reversible cover. So there you go. You don't have to stick guys, with that cover art. Fuck nobody huge. cares. Nobody huge. cares. Huge. This is a Matt baby. cares. <laughs> I'm so stoked now. And Two also, audio commentaries. Let me put this differently. Let me oh, put this differently. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and I was feeling uh, saucy, so I bought Jennifer's body and uh, the howling. Okay, okay. Now that Can would we be a just... killer double. So I was upset that we did not pair this with Jennifer's body because I haven't seen it. Want to watch it for the podcast, just so everyone is aware. But also, not even just that. I watched this, and then Amazon Prime was like. Here are things we recommend based on your viewing of this. Jennifer's body, number one. Jennifer's body would get, be a good one to pair with Raw. So mm-hmm. I will or someone else will in the future. But I just... Maybe me because I, saw, I really want to watch Jennifer's body. Well, okay. Well, now we've given our star ratings. Um, before we leave... Oh, Travis, you need to fucking settle. 3.5 oh. or 4? Yeah, 3.5. You guys can have this one. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> You're a coward. Travis, <laughs> you're a straight up chicken shit. Oh, I thought you were going to call me a straight white male, which I am. I mean, you're you're not not that, but, <laughs> but that's not why. I think you're just a scary cat. Maybe that's why I gave it a 3.5. Maybe I am. Well, Matt definitely is not that. <laughs> I'm so. not speaking for Matt. I'm just speaking for myself here. Um, so before we leave, Paris, we didn't talk about this before we started recording, but uh, it's your turn. Have you thought oh, about what no. you want to do? Oh, no, we didn't talk about this. Oh, my God. Um, you were supposed to I... think about it. <laughs> so here's the thing, you guys. I already know the theme that I want but I'm not sure 100% on the movies because I didn't realize it was my turn next. So So. why don't you tell the listeners what the theme is and then by the time I post this episode in a day or two, 
we will, you know, is that enough time for you to, for us or you, yeah, however it yeah, shakes definitely. out to pick the movies? Okay. So what's the theme? What's going to be the theme of the next episode? Okay. So the theme is going to be Japanese horror. And hmm. drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get him to come on. Kurt Morin will be a special guest on our on our next episode. Oh man, this is huge! Huge, the true cinephile in this house that I live in. <laughs> I take my fart noise back. I thought you were like gearing up to tell us your movies. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Fuck you, John. Hell yeah! Well, no, I don't know what movies exactly yet, but. We're probably going to do something good. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll hammer out those details off air. So stay tuned to the feed. We'll see what's coming up. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a special guest next episode. If not, I want to go ahead and thank him anyway for providing the theme music to our show. That is Kurt Morin. Check the uh, show notes for a link to his site where you can check out more of his work. We will be back in a couple weeks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay spooky.